hey, I want to tell you thank you. I want to tell you thank you for two things. I asked you the couple weeks before Easter, let's go to 2,000 homes in two hours or less. And guess what? You showed up at Tomoka Farms, and guess what? We went to 2,000 homes in two hours or less. Man, we can celebrate that. I want to say thank you that Easter weekend, that entire weekend, uh, from Friday night through Sunday morning, we ministered to over 4,000 people Easter weekend, and we celebrate that. I say thank you. I want to say thank you that the Sunday after Easter, I said, we need to go back and make a personal contact with all of these families that came Easter weekend. And guess what? You showed up by the hundreds of people to go and visit. That first Sunday night, you know, we had four people get saved and another one acknowledged that they need to accept Jesus Christ. Last Sunday night, the weather was bad. It was ugly, but many of you still showed up. I want to say thank you. Let me tell you about last Sunday night. Oliver, and Oliver's even struggling with throat cancer, but he's saying, I'm not going to let that get me down. I'm going to keep serving Jesus. So last Sunday night, he went to his first visit, and they were revisiting a lady who accepted the Lord the week before. And man, they had an incredible visit, and she's going to come, and we're going to get to baptize her. Then the second visit, when they started the second visit, they knocked on the door. The lady answered the door, and this is what she said. She said, I have been waiting for you, and I have been asking God for God to send somebody to my house to tell me about Jesus. And guess what? Before they left, Oliver, they, were they went through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that lady got saved last Sunday night. So in that incredible... So I, I want to say thank you. Now, please hear me. We grow spiritually as we go. As we go and we make disciples, we also grow spiritually. I, I believe God does not intend it for us to say us four and no more and circle up together and make it about us. I believe when we make it about the great commission and we're going, we're going to grow in the Lord and mature in the Lord. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to thank you for, thank you for praying for our daughter, Emily. Uh, what an incredible week it's been. Uh, as soon as I finished preaching last Sunday, we left and headed to Atlanta. She had our surgery on Monday. As a matter of fact, the surgery lasted two hours less, or more than that, actually, than what they had told us. So we celebrated that. And Dr. Bruce's doctor said it went absolutely picture perfect. I mean, she didn't even lose about two drops of blood at all. Um, and Emily, so you, when you see her again, man, it's unreal the difference how great she looks. But she is cut from right here to the top of our neck all the way down. She's cut from all the way there with those two rods in uh, from top to bottom. But she is doing great. As a matter of fact, she was doing so well. We got to come home even two days early from the hospital. So we say thank the Lord for that. It, 
We've just watched God answer prayers because I believe prayer changes things, don't you? So thank you for praying. And one of the things that we ask you to pray about, we ask you to pray about her hallucinations. She's allergic to hydrocodone, so anything with codeine in it, she can't take. But she's on so many other things in the past that she hallucinates. And the last time when she hallucinated, man, it was a fearful moment in our house. As she's in our bedroom, she thought dogs were coming to get her, that they were eating in her face. I mean, have you ever had that moment in just... The fear and the terror of her was incredible. Then when we got to her and she looked at us the time before, she didn't even recognize Amy and I. She didn't know who we were, so she was scared of us. I mean, the, the screaming and all that we, she went through was horrible. So we asked you, pray about her hallucinations. She did hallucinate some, but let me tell you how God answered that prayer. She hallucinated about John Robert, Mary Beth, and Matthew. What she hallucinated, because they were here with my mom, my mom taking care of them, she just hallucinated that they were in the room with her playing with her. So, as a matter of fact, one night she was up all night long hallucinating about our three other brothers and sisters, I mean, just talking all night long to them, uh, going on and on. Amy finally said, Emily, it is way past John Robert and Mary Beth and Matthew's bedtime. It is time for them to go to bed. She said, okay, and she immediately went to sleep. So, I, I, I'm telling you, God answers prayers in a lot of different ways. So, First Baptist family, I want you to know, our family feel so honored and privileged to be here with you. And we're honored and privileged to be your pastor and your pastor's family. And, um, you know, when you have each child, it's like God just keeps opening up another compartment of love. When I knew God called me here to be your pastor, it's amazing how God just opened up our family's heart to you to love you. And one of the things that we always want to do, we want to love you much and love you in the same way that Jesus loves us. But I have a question. How would you answer this question? Why do you think it is so important to love God? If somebody came and asked you, why is loving God so important? What would you tell them? And I want to ask you, for you personally today, why is it so important for you to love God? Men, I want every man, men, look at me. I want you to imagine that you're married and the person you're married to, I want you to imagine, men, the person you're married to takes care of everything beautiful in your house. 
I want you to imagine the person that you're married to. I mean, they are the best cook in the United States of America. Some of you say, man, that's who I'm married to. But I want you to imagine, men, they do everything right, but they don't love you. All the ladies in the room, ladies, I I want you to picture, hold on, ladies, look right here at me. Ladies, I want you to picture being married to a husband that maybe does all of these things right, but he doesn't love you. Students, look at me, all my students and college students, Look right here at me, all the children. Could you imagine your mom and dad giving you a place to live, putting clothes on your back and putting food on the table for you? Could you imagine your mom and dad clothing you, feeding you, giving you a place to live, but your mom and dad tell you, but we don't love you. How many times, please get this, how many times do we want all the stuff from God How many times do we want the food, the clothing, the shelter? How many times do we want the stuff But I'm going to ask you a very personal question. How is your love with God? Sometimes as pastors, we preach about the love of God. And I love Romans chapter 8. And I love Romans that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. We love to preach about that God loved you before the foundation of the world. We love talking about all the love of God and it sends chills and goosebumps all over us. We love thinking about the moment our feet hit the floor in the morning to the moment our head hits the pillow at night. That God is in deeply in love with us. He doesn't want to take his eyes off of us because he loves us. But I want to turn that around. How much do you love him? May I ask you, where's there a point in time that you love God more than you do right now? Think back over the last seven days. Was there another week that you loved God more than you loved Him this last seven days? Let's answer this question. Why is loving God so crucial? Let me show it to you. Take your Bibles and let's go to Matthew chapter 22. And I want you to... Look at verse 34. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. 
We're in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was written for a Jewish audience so the Jews would see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. As a matter of fact, scholars and theologians, when you think about Matthew, they actually give it a figure of a lion. As a matter of fact, above my scripture of Matthew, I wrote the word lion. Matthew, when you think of Matthew, I want you to think of a lion because Matthew's book is intended to see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. When you study the book of Mark, Mark is really giving us that Jesus is the servant. And they use that animal of an ox, that Jesus is the servant in the gospel of Mark. When you study the gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke, it's the, Luke is the longest of the four gospels. But the picture they put with the gospel of Luke is a picture of a human. That Luke shows us that God, yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man and he can relate to us. The gospel of John that we always say after you accept Christ, read the gospel of John. We got the seven I am statements. We got the miracles in it. The gospel of John, the image they use for John is an eagle that Jesus is the Son of God. So John, eagle, Son of God. Luke, a picture of a man, the human side of who Jesus is. Mark, the picture of an ox that is a servant, that Jesus is the servant. When you think about Matthew, I want you to think about a lion, that Matthew is going to a Jewish audience and showing the Jewish people that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. In this text of Scripture in Matthew chapter 22, you've got to understand the situation before we read it. In Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34, this is the last week. This is the week of Jesus going to be crucified. This is the week of everything funneling. Everything is moving Jesus Christ to the cross. As a matter of fact, when you study the the four Gospels, you can't, I can't tell you how many times Jesus said, hey, I am going to die, but I'm going to come back again. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back again. Now Jesus is, I mean, he's facing it. This is the last week. In the last week, the Pharisees, the scribes, they kept setting traps for Jesus. They kept setting a trap. They kept testing Jesus. Why? The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, they didn't like Jesus because Jesus was taking away their influence. They didn't like Jesus. Jesus could take away their livelihood. They didn't like Jesus. Jesus was going against their popularity. They didn't like Jesus. Jesus was going against their power. So the Pharisees and the scribes in this last week, they are trying to get Jesus into a trap to catch Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 22, this is the third trap. The third testing of Jesus. Notice how this goes. Let's begin in verse 34 of Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard 
that he has silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. I mean, they are setting the traps, and the traps aren't working. As a matter of fact, the opposite is happening. Look at verse 33. This is a trap. This is the ending of the trap that the Sadducees have set for Jesus. Instead of trying to put Jesus in a trap, the Sadducees and Pharisees were going in the trap. Look how the people responded. Look at verse 33. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So can you imagine, here the Pharisees and the scribes, I mean, their power, their influence, their livelihood is all coming into threat. So now the Pharisees and the scribes, according to verse 34, they circle up the wagons, they have a team meeting, and in this team meeting they're saying, how can we get Jesus? In the midst of verse 34, they are gathering together to ask Jesus a question, the testing, so that they can get Jesus in a trap, so that they can get Jesus. But guess what? In the midst of setting a trap for Jesus, Jesus gives us, I mean, our purpose and our priority. The very top thing of our life comes out of it. The very thing that they were trying to trap Jesus in is a beautiful picture for you and I, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Please look at me. Why is loving God so crucial? Look at verse 35. The Pharisees scribe, they met. They've set a trap. So what are we going to do? Then one of them, a lawyer, that he is trained in the law, also in the religious side of it, but also in the law of the day. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? As a matter of fact, let's get this as they're testing Jesus, the lawyer's asking, I, I, I want you to write this down right next to, in the margin of your Bible, write down 613. Write down 613. Somebody tell me, what number did I just tell you? 613. Here's why that is important. The rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, had come to the conclusion that there were 613 commandments of God. And they took those 613 commandments of God and they ranked them what is serious and what is not serious. So can you imagine, here's the Pharisees and the scribes, they met, they're trying to test Jesus. They have 613 commands that are ranked in what is important, what is not as important. What does Jesus say? Look back at the text of Scripture. Teacher, verse 36, teacher, what is the great commandment? Most of us, when we think of the commandments, we think of Exodus chapter what? are the Ten Commandments. Y'all better know this. Thank you. Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. But we really know, most of the time when you th picture the Ten Commandments, you, you think about Moses carrying two tablets and it's five on one side and five on the other. 
Well, really, it's not that way. Really, when you take the Ten Commandments, it's really broken up in two categories. The first four commandments are vertical. It's our relationship with God. The last six are horizontal in our relationship with each other. But what is Jesus saying in this text of Scripture? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, Jesus is going to answer them, but he's going to answer them with what is called the Shema. Every single day, twice today, these religious leaders would say the Shema. Let me, in your margin, I want you to write down Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, because what Jesus is going to do, he is going to quote Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and verse 5. He is going to tell them, hey, I'm going to sum up this whole thing. It is kind of like taking a funnel. You know, you take a funnel so you can get it in there. Let's take the funnel of all the Scripture and all of it. Why is it so crucial that you love God? Look what Jesus is going to say when they ask, what is the greatest commandment? Verse 37 Jesus said to him, you, what does you mean? Me. All right, everybody look at me. You. So how is your love with God? This last week with Emily in the hospital, you know, they got all those monitors on on her. Those monitors tell us what's going on the inside. On the inside of you, may I ask you? How much are you loving God? Look what it says, verse 35. I mean, verse 37. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God. Do you see how it's you and your? You shall love the Lord your God. And how all-consuming, how saturated should we be with loving God? What does it tell us in the Scripture? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your what? With all of your what? Heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your what? Soul. Right next to that word soul, write Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that is where God breathed into us a living soul. And man became a living, breathing soul. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. What's the third thing in the text of Scripture? We shall love the Lord our God with all of our what? Mind. I want you to write this down. Number one, write this down. The love of God is the first purpose and priority of your life. 
the love for Jesus is your first singular purpose and priority of your life. Please look at me. If you get the first domino wrong, a loving God, all of your other perspective will be wrong. If you are not loving Him with all your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind, then your perspective of your life and your world will be wrong. When you're loving God, then we're understanding that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. When we're loving God, it changes how we think. And the way we think changes the way that we make choices. And the way that we make choices, it determines the outcome of the consequences. When our love for God is not right, please get this. When our love for God is not right, our thinking will not be right. Then our choices will be wrong and the consequences will be devastating. It all hinges off that the love of God is our priority. I'll never forget I was doing some counseling and, and a person, as I was counseling them, they said, you know what? I firmly believe that it is the will of God for me in this affair. I'm telling you, when I think I've heard it all, then I realize I haven't heard it all. And and I'm going to tell you, not many things you're going to tell me are going to surprise me. I, I mean... I'm telling you, if you know everything I've heard as a pastor for all of these years, I mean, it, it would make every piece of wallpaper be peeled off of this building instantly. I, I, I mean, and, and every funeral, I, I, it never fails. Hey, Eric, just I'm sorry. You know, we got this crazy aunt in our family, and uh, there is no telling what they're going to do. Guess what? We all have them in our families. Do y'all not agree? We all have somebody that, you know, that they just need a touch of God. I want you to hear me. When your love for God is not right, your perspective of life is going to be wrong. I want you to turn over a couple pages. Look at Matthew chapter 15. Look at Matthew chapter 15 and look at verse number 8. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Look at this. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their lips on the outside are saying, hey, I'm this, but their heart is far from God. I want you to know, it is an incredible privilege that we get to love God. I 
But so many times our love for God is our lip service and not our heart. Lowell, I, I, I need you. Come up here, Lowell. Come up here. Come up here. You know what I learned about Lowell as we've been making all these visits? I learned Lowell really likes chocolate. And not only does Lil really like chocolate, let me tell you his favorite. His favorite is a Hershey bar with almonds in it. But, you know, but also besides a, you know, I really like Snickers bars. Any of y'all like Snickers bars? You know, one of the things when uh, my grandparents owned a, a big farm and we would go on that farm and we would work and we would work and we would work and at lunchtime, my grandmother would pull out for us our sandwich and all of that. And then the best thing, we end up with a Coke and a Snickers bar. There, there's, there's nothing like, I mean, there, there's nothing better than a Coke and a Snickers bar. I mean, I mean, smell that. Doesn't that smell good? I mean, that looks good, doesn't it? You know what? I, I, I'm, I'm going to give this to you. <laughs> I'm going to give this to you because I love you. But, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, little. I've got a lot going on in life right now. You know what? I, you know, I got a lot going on. So, you know, I, I really need to be, you know, here, here. Uh, here. You know what, well, life sometimes gets pretty hectic and all kinds of stuff going on. You know, you got to pay bills. You got to, we got to work hard. If we don't work hard, what are you going to do? No, good. Look at, look at the caramel. Do you see the caramel? Where it go? Here, you want the last bite? Hey, hmm. here's what many of y'all are doing. Life's really about me. About my issues. Hey, Lord, here you go. <laughs> you know what? God doesn't want the wrapper the outside. He just wants what's on the inside. God wants not the wrapper. He wants one that's on the inside. So I'm going to ask you a question. Thanks, Lou. <laughs> hey, Lou.
was there a time that you loved Jesus more than you love him now? The first. First Baptist, the top priority. Love him. Not only is that we love him, write this second thing now. Love for Jesus is our motivation. Because we love Jesus, I, I love this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that the love of Christ compels us. I don't want us going because how it makes us look. I don't want us coming to church because it's our tradition. First Baptist, look at me. Why are we going to go out in the highways and the byways and compel them to come in? Because we love Jesus. We're not going in the highways and the byways just because we feel like we have to, just because we feel guilty. We don't want to go because we feel guilty. We don't want to go because we have to. We feel like we have to. We want to go because we love Jesus and we want them to know Jesus. Do you hear me, First Baptist? We took an offering up a minute ago. We don't want to give out of guilt. We want to give graciously and abundantly because we love Jesus. I love to give because I love Jesus. Some of you are stingy. You know why we get stingy? It's a love issue. We get stingy because it's a love issue. It's a trust issue. For heaven's sakes, we're trusting him to take us to heaven. We're trusting him to lead us forevermore. I know I am, are you? Why are we stingy? Love issue. Look back at verse 37 and 38. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. Verse 38. I want you to mark this. This is the first. Do you see that in verse 38? This is the what? So what does it mean when it's supposed to be the first? The first. And the great commandment. For many of us in this room, it's not. What do we do? Let me tell you what you do. Turn with me the book of Revelation, Revelations chapter 2, and I want everybody to turn there. Electronically or in your Bible, look at Revelations chapter 2, verse number 4. This is part of the seven letters to the churches of Revelation. This is the letter 
of the church of Ephesus. Let me tell you, Ephesus believed right. This church believed right. This church worked hard. I mean, if you would have looked at this church calendar, their church calendar would have been packed full. You would have looked at this church calendar, and they would be teaching on the cults and not to fall to the cults of the time. But then it had this to say to them. Verse 4, I want you to get this. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Have you left your first love? Verse 5. What do we do When we left our first love. Many of you in this room, you need to embrace verse 5 right now. There was a time that you loved Jesus more than you love him right now. What do you need to do? Verse 5. First word, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. If there was a time that you love God more than you do right now, I want you to go back and remember of God's grace. I want you to go back and remember God's mercy. I want you to go back and remember His death and His resurrection. I want you to go back and remember. If there was a moment that you love God more than you love Him right now, if there's a moment that you are more passionate about God than you are right now. The first thing you need to remember. Look at the second word in verse number five. Repent. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. In just a moment, we're going to have the invitation. If there was a moment that you love Christ more than you love him right now, what do you need to do? You need to repent. The devil's going to tell you, oh, you don't need to repent. You're not that bad. You know your heart. And let me tell you what, Jesus is serious about our repentance, and Jesus is serious about us drawing near to him. In just a moment, don't believe the lie of the devil. Instead, you need to go back and you need to remember, and you need to stand, and you need to come to this altar, and you need to repent. Pastor Eric, what's somebody going to think? It really doesn't matter what they think. Can I tell you what? If we ever, if we ever have a service and somebody's coming to the altar and somebody calls, oh, look at them, I wonder what they've done. You know what? If that's you, you need to be down here repenting. Look at me. Did you hear me? If you're down here going, oh, by God, look at them. You're adding your two cents. You need to be down here getting right with Jesus. If somebody's getting right with Jesus, we celebrate over it. The prodigal could be home. Some of you, in just a minute, you need to repent. 
Look at the third thing it tells us in this verse. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. I want you to go back and repeat. Go back and do those first works when you love me more than anything. Here's what I want you to do. Will y'all please stop? And I want everybody right here. How is your love with Jesus? It's the first and greatest commandment. In just a moment, I'm inviting you. If you've never accepted Jesus why don't you come and accept Jesus today and get saved? Some of it, you're saved, but you're wavering and you're stumbling today. Remember and repent. It doesn't matter how many accolades you get. It doesn't matter how many plaques you get. It doesn't matter how many clocks they give you because you worked somewhere for so long. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray over this room. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will have total freedom in this room. Lord, the Pharisees and the scribes, they set a trap. They were testing you. In the midst of testing you, Jesus, you laid out for us the first and the greatest commandment. Lord, I, I pray across this room that, Lord, some of us are just giving you the wrapper. For some in this room, there's a time that they loved you more than they love you now. For some in this room, Lord, they're, they're struggling trusting you. They're struggling relying upon you. Lord, I pray that they will remember. I pray that they will repent. And they'll go back and do those first things in loving you most. As no one is moving in this room, First Baptist family and guests, this is a serious moment. I'm inviting you to allow the Holy Spirit, God, to search your heart to see. Is the first and the greatest priority of your life is to love Him. And is there a moment that you loved him more than you love him now? 
I'm asking you to remember. I'm asking in a moment when we stand and sing to come to this altar. Say, God, I want to love you. I don't want to give you the wrapper. I want to give you all of it. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that we will not believe the lie of the devil. We will not believe the lie of the enemy. But, oh, Holy Spirit of God, may we believe the truth of the Holy Spirit of God in your word. And, God, may we put our feet into action. God, we just don't want to be a hearer of this word. But, God, we want to receive it and respond. Because, Lord God, the first priority, the premier thing of our life is to love you. Lord God, your people, we're listening. Show us. And Lord, I pray that we will be faithful and responding according to your spirit leading us. In Christ's name, amen.